Hello, everyone. I welcome you to the AI Insights Podcast, where we will discuss the future of artificial intelligence, AI trends, AI ethics, and career advice in the field. The main focus of today's podcast will be on the future of AI ethics and generative AI. Today, I am very excited to talk to Mr. Larry Bradley, who is extremely close to this topic. Larry is the CEO of the ethical and responsible AI software company, Solus AI. Solus AI specializes in using AI to detect and remove bias and discrimination from models making decisions about people. It works in credit and insurance underwriting, predictive marketing, healthcare, and employment, to name a few use cases. Larry provides more than three decades of technology, product development, and business leadership as the CEO at Solus AI. Previously, as Solus AI's COO, Larry created the product development team and structure, creating the funding strategy, go-to market, and operating model for Solus AI. In his previous role before Solus AI, he built and led the big data analytics and application modernization lines of business for the cloud accelerator startup and growth company, RainCloud. Hello, Mr. Bradley. Thank you for taking the time from your busy schedule to attend this podcast. I'm really thrilled to have you on my podcast. Let me begin by asking you the following questions. Can you please provide some details on your background and how you got interested in the field of data analytics and AI? Sure, thank you for having me, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, I really got started back about 2010 when I joined a startup um, that needed my help in modernizing their analytics platform. And so, you know, at that point, my background was primarily uh, in infrastructure and, you know, cloud computing, things like that. Um, but as I helped them move their application into the cloud and replace a lot of components with open source data science um, technology, you know, I really started to get interested in, you know, how people were using algorithms and data to solve real business problems. And so, you know, um, I continued to work with them and moved into more of a business development and leadership position and, you know, was working very closely with customers as they were trying to, um, you know, take advantage of the new, you know, machine learning algorithms that were coming out at that time and how to apply them to their business problems. And also seeing a lot of the limitations, the limitations in the data and the uh, limitations and skill sets and things like that. So that's really what sort of got me interested um, in it originally was, um, you know, seeing customers trying to solve those problems, um, also having to solve a lot of the problems of, you know, processing data at scale and make decisions based on that data. Okay, nice. Um, let me ask you a follow-up question. Um, can you please provide like a few insights into Solus AI and like what in the AI space? Sure. You know, Solus AI. What we're really focused on is, you know, solving issues of bias and discrimination. Um, you know, in the data and in the you know data decision data-driven decisions that customers are making. And so, you know, what our software does is it provides customers with the ability to take the models that they have built and run them through our software and to, you know, uh, 
get back a version of their model that they understand that they can immediately you know begin to use and that it not only performs well and helps them meet their business needs but also has less you know bias and discrimination um, or you know uh, or disparity where it's um, you know or disparity in the model. And so, um, you know, what Solas AI is really trying to do is make it, you know, very easy for modelers and compliance analysts to create and ensure models stay um, fair as well as stay performant. Um, then also, you know, be able to generate the information that, you know, compliance officers, managers, executives need to ensure that, you know, they can trust their models and they, mm -hmm. they can trust that, you know, their models are performing, you know, for their business, but also um, performing in a way that will keep them safe um, and be able to communicate that to other stakeholders, whether they're um, auditors, regulators, potential customers, um, you know, or the public. Okay, well, kind of how you got into it um could you share some real world examples in different verticals where solace ai solutions have successfully identified and addressed um, bias in decision making processes sure of course you know a lot of the work that we do is very confidential so i'll have to speak yeah to, i understand you know, <laughs> yeah in generalities but uh, so you know where we really began was in the lending space and uh in uh, you know, working with banker banks and other lenders. And so in that case, you know, what we're often looking at are models that are making decisions about, you know, an individual's risk profile, um, you know, uh, what types of um, offers to make them, um, uh, you know, what, um, you know, whether to give them a loan or not. So there's a lot of these decisions that you know, are usually um, a rankable decision about a person. And so, you know, what our software is often able to do is go through and look and see that, um, you know, especially in a large bank that's been under the purview of the CFPB and other regulators for a while, um, they've been using, uh, you know, usually you know very mature model risk management um, techniques and fair lending techniques um, so they in general it's going to be very rare that you're going to find discrimination or bias in that model but you, what you might find are disparities which is more of like that historic um, you know sort of the historic discrimination creeping into the data creeping into the decisions even though the modeler and the organization is doing as much as they can to prevent that. And so that's one of the things that Solas, you know, really targets is, you know, how to help um, banks and other organizations reduce that impact of that historic bias um, that, you know, we're all sort of subject to. And so in that case, you know, what our software will do is look at, you know, the output of a credit model or um, in a, uh, an underwriting mm -hmm. model. And um, what it will show is that, um, you know, on average, the model is making decisions that 
uh, you know, benefit certain protected classes, but might um, be underperforming for other protected classes. So an example might be a credit model that um, is providing, um, you know, Asians, uh, women, um, uh, you know, Latin Americans or Hispanics, um, there it's making those decisions at a, uh, you know, a high percentage compared to mm -hmm. the protected or the, you know, the primary class, which is often white males. Um, but then th the software will detect it. Um, but when you start looking at the ratio for um, African Americans and maybe older Americans, you know, it's not making as many decisions for them and it's not giving as many offers or um, as high a scores for them. And so while that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with the model, it does tell you that um, there's probably something you need to investigate. And so then what would happen is you would go through and you would do the investigation in our particular case, we use, you know, explainable AI to do that, but there are other ways of doing it as well. And then you begin to understand sort of what's happening, um, you know, with the, uh, with the model. And then, you know, once you start seeing that, um, that there are these disparities there, then you go through a process of what's known as less discriminatory alternatives analysis or less discriminatory alternative search. And you, what you're doing is looking to see, is there a model out there that is, um, you know, performs in a similar way from a business perspective, but can actually reduce the, um, reduce the disparities. And if you think of machine learning models, they often have, you know, potentially between 100 and 200 variables, you know, or even, you know, higher than mm -hmm. that. Um, what you're really talking about is in some cases, numbers and of alternative models that are larger than all, you know, the atoms in the universe. And so, um, uh, you know, so what we provide, you know, customers the ability to do and what, you know, other vendors are doing is how do you narrow down that universe and how do you identify, um, you know, a small set of alternatives to that original model. So in the credit space, what that could look like is um, potentially, you um, uh, looking at potentially alternative features. So it might be that, you know, in the model, there is a feature for the number of hard inquiries. And, you know, there is, um, you know, it, potentially you could have more hard inquiries on somebody's um, credit report who is mm -hmm. African-American or, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic than you would for white males for the same similar, you know, credit profile. And so um, what you would do is, is there another variable in the data set um, that the model was developed on that uh, has a similar predictive value to hard inquiries? And it might have something to do more like the amount of time um, you know, between hard inquiries or the amount of time between certain um, uh, uh, incident, uh, not incidents, but um, events, 
in mm -hmm. their credit history. And, um, and so what you could do is potentially replace that, um, replace that, uh, that feature with it. Or in other cases, it's just tuning it and changing the weight and how the model treats that, um, you know, treats that particular piece. And so in the credit space, that's what we see happening a lot. And, you know, uh, you know, being able to look at those, identify whether they're alternative features or there's, you know, different ways of tuning things um, that can allow you to make changes in the model that um, keep the same amount of predictive value, um, but reduce the, the disparity. But if you're talking about a model with you know, hundreds of variables, and even more importantly, just the vast number of relationships between those variables, you know, that's not something a human can do. And so you need AI to actually be able to um, go through and perform all of those calculations and, you know, those adjustments. Um, in the, you know, in the healthcare space, it's really interesting. Um, you know, seeing what's happening there, because in some mm -hmm. cases, you actually get a lot richer data and a lot, um, uh, yeah, you get a lot richer and, you know, larger data sets. And in those cases, um, what we're actually seeing is that going through that same kind of process, like uh, one, uh, one example is, a clinical decision support model that's trying to um, identify whether a person has the, uh, uh, you know, has like early onset of symptoms of a particular disease. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you can often see disparities between, you know, either racial groups, you know, gender, um, especially in the healthcare space. And, you know, our software can go through and can sort of detect that those disparities are occurring, but then also go through and identify that there are other variables or there's, you know, um, other ways of sort of tuning the relationships between variables that can actually eliminate those. And so we have seen that where um, disparities between men and women or different racial groups can be, you know, mm -hmm. all virtually eliminated, um, you know, um, going through these uh, fairness uh, exercises. And I think that's one of the things that's very interesting about healthcare is that um, where in credit, it's often more of a trade-off of performance and fairness, um, though that can be minimized. In healthcare, what you can really see is that as you eliminate some of those disparities, it actually has really positive business benefits. Okay, that was that was very interesting. Uh, speaking of data, um, um, to be unbiased requires, I was saying, diverse and re representative data. How does Solus AI one of the challenges of obtaining and maintaining such data to ensure fairness in its AI models? So, you know, this is an interesting point because, you know, what we have actually tried to do is, um, you know, provide a solution where you don't have to go back and change the data. So, you know, it is absolutely true. Like, it's a lot easier to, um, 
to create fair models off fair and more representative data, but that's often not possible. Um, and so like mm -hmm. when you look at financial services, um, you know, one of the challenges is if you go back and you start, you know, um, changing the data that can, you know, create privacy and legal issues. Um, and so uh, one of the things that we have tried to focus on is how to increase that fairness completely algorithmically so you yeah. don't have to go back and make those changes. And so, um, you know, I there are people who are, you know, working on that. And so there are, um, you know, sort of synthetic, um, generating synthetic data sets based off real data sets that um, create uh, basically what are intended to be fair versions of the original data, but they essentially generate um, a synthetic version of that that tries to eliminate a lot of that new uh, that new data. I mean that uh, biased data. What we've been, you know, uh, and then there are also techniques that are more, um, you know, uh, sort of inline processing techniques where you are uh, trying to debias the data as you're going through and. Uh, you know, in analyzing or and creating your model, you're going through that initial, you know, um, training and development of the model. And so there are also techniques there, but what we really try to focus on is sort of that post-processing or that, um, that end step, which is let's look at what's there and let's look at algorithmic ways that we can actually eliminate the the biases in them so you can you know sort of do it at all three levels um, or all three stages you know pre-processing as you're creating the model and then as you've um, you know after the model's been created and we sort of focus on that third part i see um what is a common myth about the expertise in your opinion? Well, you know, I think one of them is that, um, you know, you don't need to understand statistics um, to do uh, a lot of the new <laughs> sort of data science and machine learning. You know, that's, um, you know, one of the things that we believe is that, you know, really having a a strong foundation in statistics, you know, helps you really understand and make intelligent decisions about what you're doing. And so seeing people who sort of rush from, um, you know, a computer science degree into a data science, you know, into data science, and they don't adequately sort of build that statistical foundation. I think that's one of those things that, you know, um, you know, is one of those sort of myths that you can do that um, and that you're not gonna pay sort of a, a penalty for that. So we think that there's a real value in doing it. Um, I think another one is, um, another big one with AI is that the problems that we're going to face are in the future. Now, six months ago, I think this was a much, you know, um, a much bigger problem. I think people are starting to wake up to it as mm -hmm. you know chat gpt and you know, generative ai has sort of made such a big splash on the screen but you know we'll hear people talking about you know what happens when there are 
you know, AI killer robots or Skynet or those other things as if, hey, we've got to worry about what AI is going to do in the future, when really there are a lot of challenges right now, you know, um, in the way models are being used to make life impacting decisions about, you know, personal finance or consumer finance, um, about, you uh, uh, about employment and about healthcare, you know, um, in all of, you know, in these different areas that, you know, there's already a lot of AI and machine learning models making decisions about people that really haven't gone through a rigorous enough, um, you know, evaluation process to understand what are those impacts, what are those downstream impacts. And um, so I think that's one of those is that, um, uh, you know, that sort of the issues and the challenges are in the future and they're sort of these, you know, big events. There are things happening right now, but I think the cool thing, the cool, um, uh, you know, sort of opportunity that that provides us is that if we start working on these things that exist right now, we're going to build that foundation so we'll be ready for, you know, those bigger leaps. You know, if we ignore it now while it's still smaller and more manageable, then we're going to be in trouble and we're going to be playing catch up like, you know, in climate change and things like that. And so, I've been encouraged and sort yeah. of excited about how much excitement there there is right now and attention there is on this space. But um, at the same point, you know, like what I'm worried about is that you know people will get bored of it and move on to the next thing. I think the conversations we're having, what what we're seeing happen in the government, what we're seeing happen from industry, you know that. Um, this is the kind of momentum we need to keep up and we need to keep pushing on so that AI is truly a benefit and that we really do minimize the negative impacts. I see. I also wanted to talk about how there's like lots of controversy in AI going to remove um, jobs in many um, spaces like uh, marketing and transportation, stuff like that. What is your opinion on that? So... uh, so I, I do think it's something that we need to think about. Um, you know, on the one hand, I think it's going to open up a lot of opportunities, especially opportunities for people who are, you know, creative and curious and interesting, you know, interested. Um, you know, and so I do think that there's, you know, it's going to generate a ton of opportunities. Mm-hmm. But um you know, but at the same point, there are going to be people who uh, may not be as open to embracing change that it's going to be very scary for. And so, you know, I do think we need to be thinking about the human impact. And so, you know, I've heard people say like philosophers and sociologists and, you know, people who sort of really understand, you know, how humans go through change need to be part of this conversation. It can't just be a conversation Mm -hmm. of, you know, technologists. Um, And so uh, I do think there will be change. Some jobs, you know, um, may disappear, but um, Mm -hmm. others, what it will be is that, you know, the, um, 
you know, the boring parts of the job or the unfulfilling parts of the job are eliminated and you're freed up to do a lot more of the high value things. So I can, you know, what we're already seeing in some of our own work is being able to use these tools gives us the ability to eliminate a lot of those things that, you know, um, our time sucks and, um, you know, our unfulfilling and allows us to do a lot more of the deep thinking and you know a lot of more of the decision making so i really think that for a lot of people there needs to be that attitude shift of hey um it will take it will take some of what i do away but it can also really free me up to doing things that are a lot more impactful okay i see um, in your opinion, what is the most crucial personality trait someone would need to work in the AI industry and be successful in their job? So, you know, I think, you know, one of the definitions of innovation is, you know, being able to take creativity and harness it in a way that you get, you know, a positive outcome out of it. And like, to me, that is the um, you know, that is sort of like a great framework for a great data scientists or AI engineers, um, you know, personality. You have to be creative, but also you have to know how to take that creativity and channel it into delivering results. Um, you know, so I think that's a big part. I know one part that we think of, especially when you're starting to talk about AI in high compliance areas or AI in sort of mission critical areas is also that ability to not just think create creatively and then be able to turn that into something useful, but be able to think through, you know, some of the, the corner cases or some of the challenges that you know, the AI or machine learning could be facing and be able to be proactive in um, uh, you know, um, in addressing those and making your model resilient for those. And so, you know, that I think is one of those traits that maybe um, we haven't focused on enough is, you know, sort of that ability to be your own red team or to be, you know, your own, um, uh, you know, um, adversary in, you know, what you're creating so that you create a higher quality version of it. Yeah, I agree on the creativity. Um, what is one of advice you give to someone starting a career in AI? Well, I definitely think one is, uh, you know, um, learn as much uh, you know, focus on statistics a lot because, you know, that's going to create a lot of really good, you know, mental habits for you. And also, you know, I think um, also, um, uh, yeah, sorry, I, I sort of had a, um, 
a different thought pop in my head. But uh, so, you know, that's going to create a lot of really good habits and it's going to create a lot of, you know, really great discipline and sort of being able to think through the model and what challenges there may be. So I do think, you know, having that statistics background helps you with that um, that ability to think about, you know, what weaknesses might be there. Um, and so I think of that, the other thing is, um, and it's sort of one of those myths is that, you know, having um, a single or, you know, very limited set of metrics for what, um, you know, uh, uh, for what is success and really confusing, um, you know, the accuracy of a model and squeezing out those last couple of, you know, points of accuracy, that isn't necessarily the same as solving a business problem. And so I think one of the things that I would say, you know, to people who are doing this is, one, make sure you understand how to solve business problems, not just, you know, mathematical problems. Um, and, you know, being able to think, you know, back from that business problem and then apply the math and the data science to it. You know, I think that's going to be one of those critical things. And while, you know, um, you know, competitions, data science competitions are great, you know, just being able to win a data science competition and crank out, you know, the highest accuracy score isn't really, um, uh, uh, isn't necessarily, um, going to translate to, you know, successfully solving a business problem. And in fact, you know, one of the things that we train our new data scientists on and, you know, some of our new consultants on is we ask them to go look at like, you know, some of the competition winners and try to identify when, you know, um, you know, maybe accuracy was no longer um, as much of a benefit and were there things that they could have done to make a more resilient you know, model rather than just squeezing out those last few, you know, points of accuracy. Okay. I see. Um, please let us know if there are any other comments, closing comments you might want to impart to the audience. So, you know, I think there, one thing is, you know, it is really important that, um, you know, as we start thinking of artificial intelligence, it's going to, um, you know, it's going to impact different parts of our world and different parts of our society. And that each of those areas may actually require a different way of thinking about it. So, you know, I could absolutely see that there's some artificial intelligence, like potentially of, you know, a virtual doctor's assistant or a, you know, self-driving cars, things like that, that, you know, when they have, when they're created, you know, they may need to go through something like that is very similar to an, you know, an FDA drug um, review or something like that, where other, you know, types of artificial intelligence um, you know, maybe the impacts aren't as severe, but they will still need to follow fairly rigorous, um, you know, uh, model validation and risk management um, frameworks. And so to, you know, to think about that, like, what is the impact and how important is it to really understand not just the, 
you know, the mathematical or financial impact of a model, but the, you know, the overall societal impacts as well. Who is this going to, um, who is this going to affect? And that we need to be thinking, you know, sort of in a layered approach of, um, you know, just like they're different, um, different regulatory regimes for different mm -hmm. types of services and different types of industries for AI, that's also probably going to be true. Um, but I also think that what we've heard from some of the regulators recently is also true that a lot of the laws on the books um, about how people and how companies need to act in particular industries, they will also you know, apply to AI. And that, you know, there are probably already a lot of um, laws and regulations, you know, in place that would be easy to um, apply to, uh, or relatively easy to apply to artificial intelligence. And to, you know, as you're creating artificial intelligence, to think about that, you know, what are the standards and practices in this industry? And is our AI going to live up to them? Okay. Thank you for all these insights. It has been a great discussion so far, and our listeners will absolutely benefit from your wisdom. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem.